Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's October 27th, 1962, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. So it was on this day that a University of Minnesota medical student called Johnny Campbell decided to spur on the university's struggling football team by leading spectators in a rousing cheer and in doing so became the first recognised cheerleader. And according to the annals of cheerleading, that first ever chant went rah, 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 skiuma, hurrah, hurrah, varsity, 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 Minnesota. Interesting, because I've got rah, 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 skiuma, hurrah, Minnesota, hurrah. Oh. Which is a variation. Gosh, the history books disagree with one another. <laughs> I mean, I think we can all agree that skiuma is a weird second line. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> I think it rhymes with Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> well analysed, Arian. Um, I think it was supposed to have the cadence of a kind of fake Native American chant because that was ah. sort of a big part of chanting. Well, I'm glad there's something off colour about it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I imagine that one isn't done very much anymore and certainly not in that style. I mean, anyway, we, I feel like we're deviating. The, the shocking hold-the-phone, colour-me-shocked moment that we've just discovered is that the first ever cheerleader was a boy. I mean, I I, that, that's the thing. Like, if there's any pub quiz fodder to come out of today's episode, it's that, isn't it? In the first minute. For years, for decades, really, all the debates around cheerleading have arisen from the shared common knowledge that it's a bit sexist and it relies on college women standing on the sidelines and cheering on the male sportsmen. No, the first one was a man. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, the first recorded female cheerleaders didn't come along until 1923, so 25 years after this. Again, it was at the University of Minnesota leading the way in cheerleading history once again. But yeah, the first cheerleaders were all men. And the reason for that was that they were formed at all-male universities. The concept of intercollegiate sports started in the late 1860s. So in the decades that followed, these cheer clubs popped up. But crucially, their role was to be kind of in the crowd and leading on the cheer clubs in doing their cheers. They weren't supposed to make the wide audience do the cheers. Uh And so the word cheerleader had actually been recorded the year before Campbell got up and, and made his name. But they were used to mean the leader of the cheer club rather than someone who was standing at the sideline directing the whole crowd. And in fact, not only were all the first cheerleaders men, some of them were very prominent men. There are actually some articles I found from the early 1900s that were talking about how being a cheerleader is one of the best things a young man can have on his resume when he leaves college. And so famous cheerleaders include four presidents, George W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, Dwight D. Eisenhower and Franklin D. Roosevelt were all cheerleaders. Plus plenty of actors, Michael Douglas, Steve Martin, he would have been great, Samuel L. Jackson, (laughs) who would dare cheer against him, (laughs) Uh, Madonna, Cameron Diaz, loads of people. Yeah, it is now so baked into US culture that I think not only is it sort of part of being all American, but it's also prestigious. But why? 
I mean, you know, there had been 29 years of college football unsullied by organised cheering. There had been hundreds of years of British sport. <laughs> Why do the Americans need this? Like, we can all cheer along, can't we, without being led? Well, one of the weird things that any record of Johnny Campbell's first cheer mentions is that his team, Minnesota, then goes on to win 17-6. Mm. And there's this sort of connotation that it was the cheering itself that caused the victory. And I must say, I mean, sports teams the world over credit the crowd with, you know, if they've been particularly vocal in having lifted them and mm. being the, you know, 12th person on the pitch or whatever number. But doesn't it mean more if it's not their job? Doesn't it mean more if, so, if the crowd spontaneously cheers along? Well, see, now it's not just about the cheering. The physical side was an aspect from the start. So there was an article in the New York Times in 1908 talking about the annual Yale-Princeton football game. So this is just 10 years later. It says, Strangers who see hatless and coatless youths making amazing gestures on the lawn in front of the big pavilion need not tremble for their safety, for the arm-waving, head-bobbing young men will not be maniacs but cheerleaders and then it was in the 1920s that it developed even more to include acrobatics and somersaults so even before the modern cheerleading style you know dominated by young women arose it was still common that the cheers would be accompanied by a bit of a display of acrobatics as well and pom-poms after the patenting of such by the first person to get rich from cheerleading the so-called grandfather of cheerleading Lawrence R. Herkimer he cheered at Southern Methodist University, founded a cheerleading camp, and invented the herky jump, um, which involves swinging your right arm upwards to begin your leap, and then as you depart the ground, your left hand clutches your hip while the left leg is propelled out parallel to the ground and the right leg is drawn back, if you want to try that one at home. Uh, but most importantly, he patented the pom-pom. So he managed to find a route to riches from this nonsense. Uh, yeah, apparently he actually called it a pompon after hearing that the word pompom had vulgar connotations in some languages. I mean, I, I looked at Wiktionary and I couldn't find what languages they were supposed to be, but I thought that was a very wholesome gesture. Yeah, you wouldn't want anything vulgar to come out of cheerleading, perish at all. <laughs> well, he also founded the National Cheerleaders Association, which was the thing that kind of sprung out of his camps. And by the 1960s, college cheerleaders employed by the NCA were hosting workshops all across the country and teaching these same skills. So I guess that's why they have a particular jump that so many cheerleaders do because, you know, they all came from this same school. Yeah, I mean, he got incredibly rich off it. His summer cheerleading camps eventually became nationwide and there were tens of thousands of eager attendees. And that's what, in the end, helped to crystallise the look and the style of what we now see as cheerleading because he designed so many of the original routines. And he also sold clothing for cheerleading teams, which gave a certain uniformity to the look as well. The truth is, of course, that our mental image of the cheerleader is the sort of scantily clad person these days, you know, women at the sides of American football games. And actually that came about in the 60s and 70s, and quite a lot of it was done by one cheerleading group in particular, which was the Dallas Cowboys, or Cowgirls, they were the affiliated group, and it was their outfits that were getting shorter and shorter. So you've sort of got these twin avenues of cheerleading going off in one direction towards the sport, and in the other direction towards the women on the side line cheering on other sports but in either case 
you get a level of professionalization, which means people argue that because great athleticism is required, either because of looking attractive or because of performing gymnastic feats, you mm. actually end up excluding a lot of the people who are originally involved in cheerleading. I mean, obviously men, for a start. But secondly, just your sort of average spectators. I, mean, I, 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 sort of understand, I hear the call for cheerleading to be at the Olympics. And I love <laughs> watching a cheerleading demonstration. It is fun. But at yeah. the same time, I just think, you know, wither the out-of-shape sports fan who just wanted to join in. <laughs> like, you know, what, what can they do? Oh, like, they're that still was, there. That was for the they're still they're there very shouting. much still there, yeah. with their big gold from their popcorn. But where's yeah. the thing that they can join in? Like, that was the thing they could do. There was no barrier of entry based on physical ability, but now there is with cheerleading, and it seems kind of sad. Yeah, and that seems to be connected to the fact that it was, you know, I was quite surprised actually to find out that it wasn't until the 60s that professional football teams got their own cheerleading squads. Mm. But obviously, again, that took away the pool of applicants from being, you know, the girls who were interested at the school to being any woman that they could get to audition for them. So it did lead not only to higher levels of athleticism in the routines, but obviously the higher levels of sexualization as well. Because obviously, you know, if you're going to see your 16-year-old daughter cheering on a team, you don't want to, you know, see them all dressed up in short shorts. But where they were professional squads, it could get sexier and sexier. And I just wanted to share a couple of the names of these squads that developed. So the Buffalo Bills had the Jills, which is fine. Uh I quite like that. Yeah. The Chicago Bears have the Honey Bears. But my absolute favourite creative thinking here, the Los Angeles Rams had the Embraceable Youth. (laughs) that's quite quite good whilst we're talking about funny names I just want to return to the point you made earlier that George W. Bush was a cheerleader he was at Yale before that at his school Andover when he was an adolescent he appeared in drag wearing a white skirt doing cheerleading and he was kind of college clown basically he Mm. did weekly skits in front of the school assembly to the extent that the head teacher asked him to tone it down a bit because he was kind of stealing the show from the football. Um, And in one memorable occasion, it is documented, he declared himself head of the College Stickball League and one of the names that he chose for a team, and I I credit George W. Bush with more (laughs) mouse than I previously had, one of the names that he chose was the Nads, so that he could get the whole school to oh, scream out, wait a minute. go Nads. <laughs> it's pretty good. I mean, it's puerile, but it's not unintelligent. Vote him back in. Yeah. <laughs> presidential material right there. The cursed presidential term limits. <laughs> Tomorrow. Plus the poo, the torrents of poo, <laughs> presumably. I was going to say, I haven't seen that headline. <laughs> Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.